All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, we have been spending some time this month looking at this whole idea of serving, serving within the local church, specifically serving um, here at New Day. And we've all seen the beautiful display on the back wall that has encouraged us to um, consider very, very specific ways that we can serve here at New Day. And I was looking at the wall this morning, and it is amazing how many spots are already filled. And um, it's just been such a great response so far to all of the different areas of ministry that are needed on a Sunday morning to make church happen, to make church function and together um, as the body of Christ here at New Day. It's just really exciting to see all of those spots filled. So this is the last week we're going to be talking about serving here at New Day and, and asking for your help to make sure that all of those spots are filled. And there are a few available spots left. If you feel like you've missed out up to this point, you don't have to worry about that because there are a few places left. I know, that's a relief. So Mark especially is is looking for folks to join children's ministry. So that's that's one area. But he will share about that, I'm sure. I want to um, talk this morning about a couple of different examples of serving um, taken from the New Testament. And uh, one of the examples I want to share is from the life of the Apostle Paul and looking at what he has to say about this idea of um, serving and, and sharing your life with others. Uh, there's one particular church in the New Testament that Paul had this very, very close relationship when it came to this idea of serving and sharing life together. The second example I'm going to talk about is the example of the life of Christ. And we're going to look at just one um, story uh, of him sharing and serving. And also look at what um, Christ has to say about this whole idea of what does, it become, what does it take to become great in the kingdom of God and how that relates to serving. Um, so the first example is taken from the life of the Apostle Paul. And Paul has an awful lot to tell us about serving, about serving others, and about sharing our lives with others. And the example I want to use this morning is taken from his letter to the Philippians. So Paul has written this, this letter to the Philippians, and he, the context for this letter is that Paul is in prison. And he's writing this letter to this church, this group of believers in the city of Philippi, which is today in northern Greece. And it was, if not the first place in Europe, it was one of the first to ever hear the gospel. And in Acts chapter 16, if you want to read more about Paul's missionary journey and how he reached that city of Philippi with the gospel, you can read that in Acts chapter 16. And that's, that's the, the, the account in Acts that's pretty well known to a lot of us where Paul is put in prison. And remember, they worship and then there's an earthquake and the prison kind of busts open and they're... All the prisoners are about to leave, and Paul says, no, don't leave, and the prison guard is about to kill himself because all the prisoners are going to leave, and then he would have been killed. It's this kind of dramatic story, right? And what happens? They, the, the jailer and his family uh, become believers in Christ and get baptized. So that's, that's some of the ministry that Paul did in this city of Philippi. And now he's, he's writing to them again a little bit later. And... Paul, when, as you read this letter, Paul has a very, very close relationship with this church. He has a very close relationship with these believers. He clearly loves them deeply and has great affection for them. This church brings Paul great joy. 
Now, one of the reasons they bring him great joy is because while he's in prison, they have partnered with him. So we're familiar with this idea of, of partnering, right? And it can mean lots of different things. But what Paul is saying specifically is, you partnered with me by supporting me financially. So Paul at this point is in prison and he is he's in prison as a prisoner. He's totally dependent on other people. Now, unlike today, so if you're put in prison today, you still get meals given to you by the prison service. The prison system kind of takes care of you in that regard. Well, in Paul's day, when you were in prison, your prison guard wasn't giving you any food, wasn't giving you any provisions. You were completely on your own. And if you didn't have any friends, any family who were going to come in and, and support you, provide for you, then you were totally on your own. So Paul is completely at the mercy of others. And it's the Philippian church, the Philippian believers, who are the ones who really step up and provide for Paul. And, he's, and they send this gift of money to Paul while he's in prison. And he's writing to thank them for their partnership with him in sharing the gospel. The fact that they are taking care of him in such a practical way, he's writing to thank them for that. So the church is serving Paul, and in turn he writes to thank them and also to encourage them. And in chapter 1, Paul gives them an insight into how he's praying for them. And one of the things he prays for them is that they'll live lives worthy of the gospel. That they would live lives worthy of the gospel. And there's one specific way that Paul then talks about that they can live lives worthy of the gospel. And it has to do with serving and with um, serving others. And so that kind of leads into to the passage that we want to look at this morning, which is Philippians chapter 2 and the first 11 verses. And this will be um, quite familiar, I'm sure, to, to many of us. And so let's just read um, these first 11 verses from Philippians chapter 2. So Paul is writing to this Philippian church who's provided for him, and he's encouraging them to continue in this way. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, what does this mindset look like? What is this mindset of Christ Jesus that these Philippian Christians are supposed to have? Well, Paul actually explains that for us, starting in verse 6. He says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now this is one of the most famous New Testament descriptions, kind of big picture description of the life and ministry of Jesus. And it's most likely one of the earliest Christian worship songs that we have, that the early church would have sung this or spoken this as a poem or as a hymn. 
it talks about Jesus being completely equal with God. And there's, there's a phrase in Greek that's kind of hard to translate. And here it's translated something that equality with God was not something that Jesus used to his advantage. Another way of translating that is that Jesus didn't try to grasp hold of this equality with God and hold on to it for dear life. Instead, he was willing to let go of that equality. And here we're not talking about the fact that we're not saying Jesus gave up being fully divine. What we are talking about is this positional authority that Jesus had, that he gave up everything. And this first half of this passage, Jesus is headed in one clear direction. He's going lower and lower and lower and lower. And so he goes from having everything to being fully equal with God in heaven, in glory, and he humbles himself. He makes himself nothing, becomes human, and he doesn't come in glory as a human. He comes in humility. He comes to serve. He comes eventually to die on the cross. And so this first half, Jesus is lowering himself, becoming lower and becoming lower. At the bottom of this passage, this middle point where Jesus is as low as he can possibly go. He can humble himself no more. We see this great turnaround. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place where God the Father comes in and exalts Jesus back to the highest place so that we see this pattern where Jesus starts at the highest, goes to the lowest place to serve us all, and then is exalted back to the highest place. Now, this pattern of leadership or this idea of ruling is really different than what we typically see in our culture, where you start low and you try to get as high as possible. It was the same in Paul's day. At the time of Paul's writing, the great rulers were the Roman emperors, and the best emperors were known for ruling with strength, being strong leaders who would crush their enemies who would make sure that their enemies were killed. They would expand the empire, fight battles. They would be great military heroes. There would be great honor given to them. In Paul's day, the greatest military hero to ever have lived was Alexander the Great, who by his late 20s had conquered the the known world. These were the people who were highly respected and honored to the point where people considered them to be like gods. People would say, you are divine, Roman emperor and I'm going to worship you and those Roman emperors and and Alexander the Great they would encourage that they'd say yep I'm I'm pretty great I'm divine yeah you should worship me worship me honor me give me all this glory and what do we see with Jesus it's the opposite Jesus was fully divine he didn't need to grasp it reach up for it hold on to it in fact he gave it all up he did the opposite he gave it all up And he humbled himself. He lowered himself. First of all, he became a human. Fully human, as well as fully divine. What humility did Christ show to become human? To suffer the same indignity that we suffer every day. Having to waken up every morning. Try to get your day going. The need to physically eat. Just so many things that we take for granted. Jesus willingly took on humanity. And he didn't come in glory. He came in humility and he served. So you can see that as Paul writes this, in some ways it doesn't make any sense to the church he's writing to. Who would, who would do that? Who would give up 
being at the highest possible point of honor and willingly serve. The prophet Isaiah in in chapter 53 of um, that Old Testament prophetic book actually kind of foretells that Jesus would be known in this way. And there's a very famous passage where Jesus is described as the suffering servant. So when Jesus came, he actually didn't shun this whole idea of being a servant. And he actually embraced it. And we kind of turn to our second uh, main example that we want to look at. In the Gospels, there's lots of examples of Jesus serving. In Mark's Gospel, within the first chapter, Jesus is healing people. He is teaching. He's preaching. Jesus is always out among the people. And he's not just out among any, any people. You know, he's, he's, he's out among the lowest in society. He's healing people who had leprosy. He's, he's hanging out with people who we would consider maybe to be of ill repute. He's, he's hanging out with people that others said, why are you with those people? Jesus humbled himself. And he was willing to serve. There's... Um, there's just two stories I want to share with you from the Gospels quickly to just illustrate this idea of Jesus as a servant. Um, there's actually two different times recorded for us in the Gospels where Jesus says, the Son of Man, and there he's speaking about himself. This is a title used of Jesus. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many This is recorded in Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel. And the reason that Jesus spoke these words is because of a particular incident where two of the disciples, James and John, come to him and they say, Jesus, when you are fully glorified and sitting in glory and honor, would it be okay if both of us, James and John, if one of us got to sit on your right hand and one got to sit on your left hand? Would that be okay? In, in Matthew's account, it's actually their mother that asks this question. So if you really think about this incident, it gets kind of awkward because imagine if your mom asked Jesus to seat you at the highest possible point of honor, just below Jesus, above everybody else. And then Jesus turns it into this much larger discussion, sermon, telling off, whatever it is about what it means to be a servant. And so I imagine that James and John were really not not pleased that they asked Jesus this question or that their mom stood up for them. Thanks, mom, for asking Jesus about that. Because what Jesus says is, can you really sit at that point of honor with me? Will you be able to suffer like I will suffer? And of course, the question is, the answer is no. Now, they didn't realize what Jesus was saying. They're like, of course, we can do whatever it takes to get to this point of honor. And Jesus says, no. He's like, you can't. It's up, to, it's up to the Father to decide who was honored. But what Jesus, what's interesting here is that Jesus doesn't say, forget about becoming great. You know, really what they were asking is, can we, can we become great? Can we become highly honored without putting in the sacrifice that's required? We would just like it if we could be highly honored. And Jesus doesn't say, forget about becoming great. He doesn't say that at all. He actually, Jesus never says, don't try to become great. You know, and and a lot, some of us are really wired. We're goal oriented. We like to achieve tasks. We have to do, we like to, there's this part of us that wants to become great at something. Uh, You know, whether it's in our career, family, whatever it is, we want to become great. We're driven in a particular direction and we want to become great. And Jesus isn't saying that that's bad. 
You know, we sometimes can read this passage and think, oh, Jesus saying all desire, ambition to become great, that's bad. Jesus isn't saying that at all. He's just saying the path to becoming great looks really different than what you typically think. The path to becoming great is a very, very low road where you serve others and give your life away. So if you really want to become great, Jesus encourages us to do it. Become really great at serving. Become really great at giving your life away. That was really different than the Roman emperors. That was really different than what James and John were asking for. And Jesus says, yeah, if you want to become great, become really great at serving. That's what you should be really ambitious for. That's how you gain honor, is by serving. So did we see Jesus live this out in his life? Well, in lots of ways we did. But one story I want to share with you is when Jesus washed the the disciples' feet. And washing someone's feet in, in, in the time of Jesus was a very humbling thing to do. It was typically what servants did when somebody would come into a home. Their feet would be dusty and dirty from travel, and the servant would wash their feet. Now, Jesus was known to be, he would go around and be, people would call him teacher, Lord, rabbi, master. So Jesus wasn't, you know, people didn't call Jesus servant. And yet Jesus was very comfortable to take on that role. And so Jesus, they're eating a meal. He, he washes the disciples' feet. And this would have been really awkward for the disciples, like beyond, I mean, this would have been like, please, please, Jesus, don't do this. It's so embarrassing that you would humble yourself to wash our feet. Like this is, they would have felt so awkward that this had happened. And yet Jesus insists and washes their feet. And in John 13, verse 12, when Jesus had finished washing their feet, he he had changed in order to wash their feet. He puts his regular clothes back on and returns to his place. And then he says to the disciples, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and, and rightly so, because that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes to the church and he encourages them, keep serving. Keep serving, keep growing together in your love and your service as a church. He encourages them as a church, keep growing together in service, in love and in unity. He points to the example of Christ who lowered himself and lived a life of service for others to the point of giving his life. And in the example that we see in the Gospels, we see Jesus, who served others and gave his life. So in the same way, when we think about our church, we take the example of Christ, we take the words of Paul to the Philippians, and we think about how can we serve? How can we serve others? And how can we grow together as a church in love and in unity? So I'm going to turn it over to Jill, and she's going to talk a little bit more about how that happens. All right. I know time is short, but I just have a couple of things that were on my heart that I really wanted to share. So we've heard Graham speak this morning. You've heard a whole month of sermons on serving and the importance and how it brings unity to the church and how it follows Christ's example and and all that. And so those last Five, ten minutes of the last sermon in the month of July in serving. Let's get practical. So um, following Christ's example seems kind of intimidating, right? I mean, like, that's a pretty big 
big shoes to fill, and you're thinking, great, I'm not going to measure up. This is not, like, I should just quit now. (laughs) Forget it. But I have good news for you. The good news is that the Holy Spirit has empowered us with gifts, and those gifts are used to serve. And he actually writes, this is written three times. Paul writes about it in Romans and twice in 1 Corinthians. And we'll just look at one of these lists now at 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11. It says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the work of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So a couple of points there. First of all, the Holy Spirit is going to empower you. Secondly, there is no hierarchy of gifts, right? They're all from the same spirit. They're all used for service and the common good, and they're all equally valued in the kingdom. So I don't want you to think, oh, well, you know, so-and-so is a musician, and they get to be up front and worship team, and that's really cool, but, you know, I can't do that, so I'm not going to bother. That's not true. We're all absolutely equal. God does not show favoritism, and all of us play a really vital role because we're all part of the body of Christ. I was thinking about the idea of gifts, and um, I like to give gifts. And that's probably one of my love languages. And, and I think about what I go through when I select a gift for someone. You know, I, I'm a girl, so I think a lot about fashion, you know, for other girls. And so I think about, oh, I found this bag, and that's going to look perfect with my friend's outfit, and it's going to be awesome. Or, you know, you, you take time, and you, you select this gift that's going to bring joy to the person you're giving it to, Right? Because when they use it, they're going to just love it. Or maybe as a parent, you're buying a gift for a child, and you wrap it up, and you put it under the tree, and you know this is, this is going to be awesome, right? And there's this anticipation, and, and you select those gifts with care. So, you know, God has given us gifts to use, and that's his, his attitude behind it, is he knows they're going to bring joy to you. He knows that it's something for you to use that you're going to, that you're going to just really get value out of. But have you ever had this happen? So you give the gift, and maybe the, the receiver opens it, and, you know, they're excited, they're appreciative. But then it seems like they just put it on a shelf, and they don't use it. You know, for whatever reason, maybe they're saving it for just the right moment, or, I don't know, maybe they forget about it. And there's, there's a, two things that happen. On the gift giver's part, there's kind of a disappointment. You know, you've had all this anticipation, and you knew the joy it would bring. So you feel a little disappointed they're not using the gift. But also on the receiver's part, they're actually robbing themselves of joy, right? They're robbing themselves of the potential enjoyment from this gift. Just kind of thinking about it. And I was thinking, well, maybe people do this because they're saving it, you know. They don't want it to, to ruin it before the perfect moment. I was thinking, well, the neat thing about spiritual gifts is they don't wear out, right? It's not like you get 510 prophetic words, so use them wisely, <laughs> Right? We serve an infinite God who infinitely gives you more. And your gift is like an investment, right? The more you invest into it, the more it grows, right? And can you imagine what the compound interest rate of the Holy Spirit is? I'm thinking this is a good investment. 
these are low-risk, high-return opportunities. So for all of you financially-minded people out there, the gifts are where you should invest. The more you use your gift, the more it's going to grow. And the more it grows, the more comfortable you're going to be using it in all situations. And this is one of the biggest points that I actually want to make as I wrap up, is that these gifts are absolutely meant for the church, but they're absolutely meant for the world. This is how you show your light to the world, is by serving others. You know, by, by practicing in church, by getting your experience in church, you're in a safe environment. All of those groups back there, those are all teams, right? You're not going to be thrown out there on your own. You're in a team. You've got people to rely on, to count on, that will be there. They've got your back. You can learn. You know, when you're first trying to get a job, and you, you apply for your job, but you don't have any experience, and so they don't hire you, but you can't get experience until someone gives you a job, and it's this horrible cycle. So what do people do? They get internships. That's your internship experience back there. That's your chance to learn how to use your gifts, to find out what your gifts are, to expand and to grow in them. And as you grow in them, you're going to find um, how you can use them to the best of your abilities. And I was thinking, you know, it's going to be a lot easier to pray for someone out on the street if you've been praying for people in church, say, like on the prayer team, right? It's natural. You're comfortable with it. Maybe you thought, I really would love to do a vacation Bible school for my neighborhood kids. I think that would really minister to the kids and to the parents. It's going to be a lot easier if you've been serving on children's ministry in the church. You're going to know how to put together lessons. You're going to know the details to put into it. You're going to be able to put together a great program for your community. The whole point of serving inside of these church walls is to equip you to better serve outside them. So my question to you and my challenge is, Are you ready to be equipped? Amen. Thank you, Graham and Jill. That wraps up uh, a month.